This podcast is brought to you by Spotify. You can get thousands of podcasts for free on Spotify, including this one, as well as a bunch more of the most popular news and political shows. You can go beyond clickbait with daily news shows, midweek roundtables, and weekly wrap-ups of what's going on. To listen to Spotify, just open the app, tap search, and type in your favorite show name and get streaming. Download the free app today and start listening to podcasts on Spotify. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, the show where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. And I can think of no better representative of the show's cause in that regard than Rick Wilson. It is time for our monthly check-in with him. Rick Wilson, in case you don't know, is a best-selling author, a stalwart never-Trumper, a former practitioner of the Republican dark arts, and at this point, a good friend. Our conversation was cut a little bit short, so I really only got to talk to him about one pressing issue, which is his vote in Florida. And he was a tease about that. Apparently, he has a big article coming out explaining his vote. And what he has to say in that article may determine if I have him back or not. I would be very disappointed if he voted for DeSantis. He sort of hints that he maybe didn't. Spoiler alert. But our conversation is about more than that, too. If you enjoy Rick Wilson's conversations with me in general, you'll enjoy this one in particular. And if you don't enjoy them, believe me, I've heard from you and I appreciate your feedback. And I might have a message for you at the end of this podcast. Until then, right now, Rick Wilson. I have a question to ask you, and I'm I'm scared Mm -hmm. about the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. Rick, who did you vote for? See, I I don't want to answer that question because I'm actually writing an article about that. (laughs) When does it come out? Uh, I'm thinking on Friday. Well, the podcast comes out on Friday. Yeah, I'm. I, I just I don't want to bust it out quite yet, ah, Rick. But I, I will say this. Let me let me say this, Anna. Okay, everyone, go read Rick's article. Re- go read Rick's article. Of course, I did not vote a straight Republican ticket. Oh, okay. Well, that gives me some hope so, that perhaps yes. we can still be friends. We no, I I very much did not vote a straight Republican ticket. Okay, can and, we still be friends? Are you confident I, that I, our, I, we can be friends? I'm confident we can be friends. Okay, and I'll tell you. Um, I, I, it was a very odd moment. It, it was. It took a long time standing there, just because you know the the normalcy bias of your party affiliation in this country is a very very strong thing. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know I I looked at I looked at everything on a very case by case basis this time. Um, and there were some people that that uh, that I've known for a long time. That I, I, you know, uh, had to make a, a, a contemporary judgment on that wasn't about, um, you know, reflexive loyalty, mm. and and there were people that there were people that I affirmatively said, you know, fuck this guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, I'm going to cross my fingers about who who those people, the fuck this guy um, people were. Can we? Maybe we can talk about how you voted on Amendment Four. I, I favored it. Yes. So for people, yeah, I, I was an advocate. For, I was an advocate for the felon restoration bill from from the beginning. Right. For people that don't know, Amendment Four was the Felon Reenfranchisement Act. It passed by sixty five percent. 
And there was a, there is a tradition, a short one that I now worry about of of conservatives supporting things like this. So 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 say again. So you supported it from the very beginning. Yeah, I supported Amendment Four from the beginning for for three big reasons. One, it's a matter of fundamental fairness in the state, and in, in in you know anywhere it's actually taken up, because once a prison sentence is completed. Unless we're going to to say that these people are marked forever, um, and particularly for nonviolent offenses, uh, and they can never reenter society fully, then we are going to create a permanent class of people who will never reenter society fully. The second thing uh, that I approach it as a conservative is I believe the power of the state has to be bounded. And if you put yourself in the power of the state by committing a crime, we have a system of justice, not a system of permanent caste selection. And so once you've paid your price in that system of justice, your rights should be restored. That you should be able to once again reenter society as a as a complete citizen. You know, if we unless we believe that 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 punishment has to be some sort of lifetime punitive thing that reflects some, you know, weakness of character. Um, that can never be forgiven. And look, there may be some crimes where you never, you know, you never want those people back on the streets again, of course. But in that case, you know, you're not going to have your rights regardless. If you're a, if you're a child molester or or a serial killer um, or Roy Moore, you don't want those people on the streets ever again. Um, but that's that's a system of punishment where the punishment is is a forever thing. But some guy who commits, you know. Uh, it, tax fraud or some kid who sells an ounce of weed and it's 1.01 ounces should not have to spend the, you know, the, the next 50 years of their life, um, you know, with the mark of Cain upon them. Right. Now, so I suspect that that, that reasoning is not limited to conservatives, right? I think that that's actually very much those, that reasoning is very much how progressives approached criminal justice reform as well, limiting the power of the state. Yeah. Believe it or not, a lot of progressives do have suspicions about the state as much as we like, we want to use it for good and not evil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think that's why it passed by such a healthy margin? Is it is that people uh, who might not be ideologically predisposed to progressive policies saw those conservative arguments? Because I'm just curious about why it passed by such a high margin, looking at how close everything else was ideologically. Yeah, I think that I think that that's certainly um I think that certainly has a ha, has a role in why it was so successful. Uh I also think that there was a uh an understanding especially in the African American community of how disproportionate Florida's drug laws from the 80s and 90s um and and Florida's mandatory minimums in the 80s and 90s led to you know 1.4 million people uh, yeah. With felony convictions on their records, twenty percent of adult African American population in Florida. That's just yeah. that's something's wrong. Yeah. See, I, you look at that number, and I think even as a conservative, you should be like, "Hmm, I am. <laughs> Maybe I there's am. something wrong with the laws, right?" Um, so I think so. It passed, and here's the thing: when on election night. When I was part of the sausage being made, I was watching mm-hmm. conventional wisdom congeal in front of me. And that's a mm-hmm. very strange experience, by the way. Whole nother conversation. One of the things that happened, in addition to that weird early narrative of this is a bad night for Democrats, right? was 
I kept on pointing to Amendment 4 and saying, guys, we need to talk about this because this could change presidential politics. Absolutely. This could change Florida forever. Right? <laughs> I mean— it- and even if you take it, even if you take it out of the equation and say, okay, it's not going to be 1.4 million no. automatic Democratic votes. No, but if it doesn't but have again, to be 1.4 million. A, <laughs> right, Florida's a state. Look at look at the two elections right now. Yeah, Rick Scott and Bill Nelson are 12,000 votes apart, and Andrew Gillum and Ron DeSantis are 40,000 votes apart. Um, and and I know there were some Republican strategists who were very concerned about trying to keep four off the ballot, and they failed uh, on the legal side um, to, 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 to keep it off the ballot. And there's a reason they failed. It, it was robustly written. It was correctly crafted. And it was politically, um, it was politically very much right in the sweet spot. So I, my question, so we agree it could change presidential politics because it could make Florida just much less purple, much more blue. But here, here's sort of something getting back to an ongoing conversation you and I have, which is how Republicans face the electorate in general. I was sitting next to Chris Christie uh, when I made this argument about— I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, it was a very mixed mixed bag as far as an experience goes. Um, it was a—yeah. But it was funny because so I made this argument about it could change uh, faith, the, the, the way that we think of presidential politics could change Florida. He turned to me and unfortunately, this is after they, they turned the cameras off for a commercial. He said, mm-hmm. you know, we might get some of those votes, too. And I was like, you know what? I hope you fight for them. That would be great. Right. Because one thing that I think some people I I feel like it's missed almost in the conversation about voting rights, about expanding the electorate, is the idea that if we did that, it would be Democrats might not win as much, which because maybe Republicans would do more to fight for some some not as right wing policies. Do you do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I understand the theoretical nature of what you're saying. But let's revise and extend our remarks to go back and look at who we're talking about. (laughs) This is the era of Trump. Right. And aside from diamond and silk, um, Trump is not exactly beloved in the African-American community in this country. Yeah. Um, And and Trump has defined the whole Republican Party now. And and because of that, uh, because of that rebranding of the Republican Party as the Trump Party, there is, you know, to to use Andrew Gillum's phrase— um, um, whether or not they're racist is beside the point. All the racists think they're racists. And so other people look at the party now through that lens. They look at it as a party that is hostile to minorities. Hmm. And, and, and that's not, that's not the Southern strategy or some, some, you know, uh, long running accusation. This is where Trump has taken the party. This is, this is the message people are getting about this party. Both, both, you know, in the way he talks about immigrants, the way he talks about shithole countries, the way he talks about, you know, he doesn't want people from Nigeria. He wants people from Norway. Um, you know, that's not. No, no one's missing that. No one's missing that dog whistle. Yeah. Have you ever thought about starting a blog? Do you have a product or service to sell? Maybe you have a business to promote or an upcoming event to announce. Well, the dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Make it a reality with Squarespace. And I will stop reading to insert this actual genuine testimonial, which is that Squarespace is one of the advertisers that I used before they became an advertiser. 
And I have recent reason to rave about them, which is that I wanted to do uh, custom email addresses for my domain. And I had no idea how to do that. And I went to Squarespace and I used their support and I used their tools. And me, someone who hasn't actually like coded anything in 20 years, was able to pull it off pretty easily. So I'm excited about Squarespace for my uses. You probably can think of other uses for them. I might actually use them for e-commerce someday. I was thinking about maybe doing some audiobooks. You folks seem to like my voice. So I was going to give you a chance to, to buy my voice. Who knows? You have a thousand different things you've thought about doing. Squarespace can help make them a reality. Head to squarespace.com slash friends for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Use the offer code friends and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, head to squarespace.com slash friends for a free trial when you are ready to make that dream a reality. Use offer code friends to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut. I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, It's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiance of Stefan Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. I feel like you sort of made the argument that I I might usually make because you're right. I mean, because you're right. I think that in the way that politics exists now, real talk, those votes uh, of, you know, largely African-American population are going to go for Democrats. I would like to live in a world where a reenfranchised population meant that Republicans running for office had to moderate their views. I mean, that's, you know, progressives, when they think about expanding the electorate, a lot of times I think we just think we'll win more and we might. That would be great. But also the thing is about having a robust electorate is that you get people running for office who aren't on extremes, right? Like, because that's why you see these Midwestern governors aren't so Trumpy, right? Because they know their electorate and because Midwestern states tend to have actually more robust voting laws. Um, so, but you're right. That's just not the country we live in right now. So. No, we, 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 we are, we are going to face this. And, and I, 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 you know, a lot of Republicans, um, 
came to understand um, that they lost their house seats because they were in an area. So, you know, you look at Northern Virginia with Barbara Comstock, you look at, at Pennsylvania, um, you look at places across the country where Republicans once used to, uh, you know, be able to compete and they're off the table now. Those places are gone. We don't get to play there anymore. And it's going to take a long road back because, the you know, let's just let's take Virginia, for example. In Northern Virginia, Barbara Comstock, who was by all regards a moderate Republican, yeah, um, got blown out. Now, who do you think is going to win the primary in 2020 in that Northern Virginia seat? It's going to be the most Trumpy person in the Republican field. It's going to be the most cuckoo person. And it's not even that they're going to be conservative. They're going to be Trump. Mm-hmm. They're going to be Trump-ish. And that seat's gone at that point. I mean, look, you look at David Bratt in Virginia 7, who got blown out. That guy could not have been more pure on the Donald Trump far-right Freedom Caucus, you know, uh, scorecard. And he got blown out for a reason. It doesn't work anymore, and especially in places that aren't deep red. So, look, the, the, the thing I'm concerned about is the country has, you know, we are now in a, in a country that is going to either be, you know, uh, less purple uh, in a lot of places or – or less, you know, amenable to anybody who's not from the from the the louder side of the, of the ideological equation. I'm going to get pushback from some of the even more progressive and and, and deeper blue people that listen to this podcast for saying this, because I always do. Because there's a part of me that feels like I am sad that the my, the moderate Republican no longer exists as a in the party. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't necessarily want those people to win. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I feel like you need to have people who you can talk to on the other side of the aisle. And right now we're seeing in Congress a, you know, it's it's called the it's called the House of Representatives for reasons. It's representing this thing that's happening in the country in general, which is this ideological polarization that just makes it incredibly difficult for people to even recognize each other's humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is, a, you know, and, and it's funny because you and I both get, get pushback from the respective ends of our, of our ideological, you know, fellow travelers or whatever you want to say. Um, but, you know, the, the things that have uh, – the last week, there have been a few grace notes mm-hmm. that really gave me some hope. I mean, I thought Martha McSally, uh, and I, I talked to some people around her, they absolutely were being told by the White House, the NRSC, you know, stay in this, yell and scream about fraud, you know, b- burn it all down. And she just basically said, no, that's not me. And came out and conceded in a way that was graceful and and appropriate. And she, you know, uh, congratulated Christian Cinema and wished her well in representing the state. And, you know, I thought that the moment with Dan Crenshaw and Pete Davidson on SNL last week was actually really a moment where, you know, people all breathe like a little sigh of relief. It's like, oh, my God, we're not all monsters all the time. I have a little bit of a problem with Dan Crenshaw, but but but, but OK. All right. If you want to find that a grace note. OK, sure. He he. Rep- I don't if you actually look at Dan Crenshaw's policies, like he's not a moderate Republican, let's say. No, I didn't say he was, but but that but, was a moment where we could have just okay. had more screaming. Okay, all right. And you know anything anything that lets a little bit of uh, a little bit of daylight in, I think is 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 to be desired right now. 
and I want to be clear that that this is not just a, a both sides thing. There is actually some social science research to back up the idea mm-hmm. that it's it's the Democrats and progressives that are trying harder to to create coalitions. Um, that it's a, it's a coalition that already has a lot of differences in it because we have both Connor Lamb and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, you know, mm-hmm. and the Republicans have. Uh, let's see, what's the spectrum of, what's the spectrum of ideology represented in the Republican Party these days? Well, it, 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 remember, it's not even ideological anymore. Right, 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 it's, right. It's it's a personality cult now. Right. So it's not even so it's not even like you can you can't. And the problem with that also is that you can't make compromises with a with the personality cult, right? Like Correct. you, you, you can't have a principle. The, the dear leader, or your, or your anathema. Right, because you can't have a principle that you're trying to get to, or a policy goal that you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Which is one reason why it kind of went tear my hair out when the when the House Democrats say they're going to do an infrastructure bill. President Trump doesn't give a fuck about infrastructure. Of you course know, not. <laughs> you can't be like say, this is like there's something really kind of. Uh, sad about the idea of like, well, you said you wanted an infrastructure bill. So, President Trump, we, the Democrats, here's an infrastructure bill. Like, he's going to be like, thank you. You know, like, what do they think is going to happen? Like, there's you, you can't have a higher principle that you're talking about. You just have, yeah, dear leader. And at least I feel like with, you know, it's not even necessarily just moderate Republicans. It's anyone that has a principle that they're arguing from. You can at mm-hmm. least get to a place where you say, well, what is it that you want? Right. And and let's talk about what I want sure. and see see how those things, uh, you know, can coexist or not coexist. But but Trump just doesn't have any. He doesn't have any wants besides his own sucking self-interest. Remember, you know, Donald Trump went out and did 44 rallies. Those rallies were not. For those candidates. No. <laughs> those rallies were for him. Those rallies were for, for, for Trump to get his ego stroked. Yeah. And 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 the fact that he went out there, um, you know, and, and you know, of course he endorsed uh 31 House candidates and 28 of them lost. The fact that he was out there doing these things should have told Republicans this isn't about him. These guys are up on stage for a for a hot minute during 45 minutes of Castro-esque ranting on Trump's part. So uh, I just find this – I find the whole thing to be um, – I find the whole thing to be, uh, you know, uh, unsurprising and, 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 and to be disturbing. But it has now just become part of what the party – the GOP is, is. It is not going to be, um, you know, a party about individuals with ideas and they build, they build a coalition. It is worship the dear leader. Yeah. These days, you can get practically everything on demand. Like this podcast, using Spotify, as I mentioned earlier. You can listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So why are you taking trips to the post office to mail letters and packages when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? I say this often, but it's worth saying again, which is that I am not a person who works in the normal business hours, and therefore Stamps.com is especially useful. I can work in the middle of the night. Uh, I can work early in the morning. I can work whenever it is convenient for me to do some of the busy work that Stamps.com is for. Uh, Mailing invoices, mailing gifts, um, mailing in my taxes. 
Uh, Stamps.com can do all of that. Also, you can return stuff with Stamps.com too. That is really helpful. And if you want to use Stamps.com on your schedule, you can use the offer code FRIENDS for a special offer, which includes up to $55 free postage and a digital scale and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Again, if you want to try out the amazing convenience of being able to print and use postage at your home 24-7, all the amazing services of the post office at your desktop, go to stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the podcast microphone at the top of the homepage and type in friends. Again, that's the podcast microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in friends. Life insurance isn't the most enjoyable thing to think about. Most people don't like to think about dying. But actually having life insurance is a good feeling. It's nice to know that if anything were to happen to you, your family wouldn't start to have a GoFundMe to stay afloat. I purchase life insurance in part because it makes me feel like a responsible adult. There are people and animals that depend on me today. I am privileged to have that in my life. I am privileged to be someone that other living creatures can depend on. And with that privilege comes the responsibility of doing what I can to take care of them were I not able to do so as a a live person. That roundabout way makes sense. Living creatures depend on me. If I no longer am alive, I need to do my best to take care of them. And Policy Genius is the easiest way to get life insurance online in order to fulfill that obligation. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurance to find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It's that simple. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and placed over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance. Talk about feeling like an adult. Once you get disability insurance, you will feel like you have taken care of yourself. Auto insurance and home insurance. If you care about it, they cover it. So if you've been avoiding getting life insurance because it's difficult or confusing or depressing, give Policy Genius a try. Just go to policygenius.com, get your quotes, and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. So we'll have you back in a few weeks. Um, do you want to make any okay. predictions about about what's going to happen? Because there's been, we've reached the part of the news cycle where people say Trump is uh, uh, cocooning into a, a mm-hmm. warm place of resentment and anger. And there's this sense of like, oh, something might happen. I, based on previous news cycles, we might see someone get fired, but there hasn't been a world war breakout or anything. What do you think? Look, Donald Trump is clearly right now having a very, very, very bad life. Mm. And I think he knows that the, that the parties, you know, the, the music stopped and the, and the party's winding down. Um, he does not have anything on deck that he can do um, as president other than executive orders and judicial nominations. Nothing except mandatory spending bills are going to pass. And those are going to come from the House where where they're going to include things like protecting Robert Mueller's investigation. They're going to include things like uh, looking at Donald Trump's taxes. And so we're going to see gridlock in D.C. writ large. And it will be very difficult for Donald Trump to get the things he has promised his base over and over and over and over and over again that he's going to do. So, you know, uh, the fun is over and I don't think he's going to have a uh, – I don't think he's going to have a have a a, a particularly exciting uh, 
uh, uh, springtime. <laughs> and I think as the investigations ramp up, his craziness is going to ramp up. He's going to try to turn this into, you know, crazy Nancy and and stupid Adam Schiff. He's going to try to do his name calling, shit tossing stuff. And I don't think it's going to work out for him like it like it's been working out. Remember, the power of the GOP House Caucus to protect him was stretched to its absolute maximum, and that's over. It's gone. It's done. So I guess what? what but my real question is. Um, yeah, I agree. He's going to get more frustrated. He's going to you know, rant about his powerlessness. Should we brace ourselves for anything, or do you think it's a, a ranting against the wind, or, or is there going to be think, something bad? I think, I think wind and tide have turned against Donald Trump, um, and and I think that the 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 passive aggressive, you know, uh, manage Trump strategy inside the White House is going to play out more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once once Kelly is gone which, you know, could be minutes or, or weeks or whatever. Um, once Kelly's gone, I don't think he's going to be replaced with anybody who <laughs> um, is is better at managing Trump. I don't think there is anybody like that. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, imagine, imagine a guy with, you know, control of our nuclear arsenal, control of the Republican Party, um, who's starting his 2020 campaign, um, you know, the minute the Democrats are sworn in. Yeah. So I, I I think we're in for chaos. All right. I think so too. I have some hope that some institutions might might be able to be stretched into protecting us a bit. But yeah, we should brace ourselves. So I, I, I we should we, we should brace ourselves and and remember there are people around the Trump world, um, um, including. You know, the David Bossies, Corey Lewandowski, Stephen Bannon, Stephen Millers, these, these guys, they thrive on chaos and they thrive on, on fear and they tr- thrive on trouble. And they're going to do what they can to create that because they think that is a, a, a net positive for Donald Trump. And I think that the way that we respond to that, I, I don't know, actually. I mean, I think that it's going to be an interesting time for progressives because we have to not play into the chaos. And I don't know what that means. But right. I suspect it might have something to do if I can just I'll, if I can speak to my colleagues in the media. I think if we did not pay minute by minute minute attention to the White House, that might be helpful. But Mhm. <laughs> To each his own. Um, All right. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. Talk to you soon. And that is mostly it for the show. I do want to acknowledge those of you that write in and tweet at me your objections to me having Rick on the show. You have good objections. There are things that Rick has done in the past that I find objectionable. (laughs) And... There are things that Rick currently supports that I believe play a part in perpetuating white supremacy and the patriarchy and whatnot. I don't have a great answer for why I keep having him on the show, except that I find the fact of our friendship somewhat sustaining in these turbulent times. Because I know he listens to me. I know he hears me. I've seen 
him have to re-examine his worldview in real time. And I've watched him work through the consequences of the positions that he's taken in terms of Trump and the consequences of his friendship with me. He hears pushback too. I don't know if my reasons for having him as a friend and for having him on the show are good ones. I may change my mind about one or both of them at some point in the future. So many people write into this show with questions about how to deal with the people in their lives whose beliefs don't align with theirs. And if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that there's no one right answer to those questions. There's no one path forward. All I know and what I cling to on good days and bad is that we are all doing the best we can with what we have in the moment. I believe that about you all. I believe that about Rick. I mostly believe it about myself. And I know that believing that for today can get me through to tomorrow, where I might make better decisions and have more to work with. But I have to get to tomorrow. So until then, I'll remind myself and you, take care of yourselves. Until next week.